0: Well, take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 18. Well, how many of you like a good story? I like a good story, don't you? Uh, Jesus was a master storyteller, wasn't he? Uh, he? Everywhere he went, he he told stories, and, and people loved to listen to his stories. Once upon a time, you're all hooked, aren't you? Uh, you just, you're just you sitting on the edge of the seat. You just, you just want to know what's coming next because everybody loves a good story. Long, long ago, in a faraway land, I know you want to know, and I want to know what's coming next. Jesus told stories. He didn't have some big introduction like this. He didn't. He didn't start off with once upon a time. He didn't start off with once ago, long ago, in a, in a faraway land. When when Jesus told a story, he just he just lit into the story. Uh, there wasn't really any kind of an introduction. He just started talking. And whenever he started talking, people started listening. And then uh, chapter, Luke chapter 18, in verse number 10, uh, he begins here. And he's just going to start into one of his stories. Verse number 9 says he spake this parable. And then down in verse number 10, it's just he just starts. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. Now, I want to keep you kind of sitting on the edge of your seat, so we're not going to look at the whole story right here. So skip down to the end and look in verse number 14. The Bible says, And I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So the Bible says that there are these two men that that went up into the temple to pray. And then verse 14 tells us that one of these men was justified that word justified it's a good bible word and it carries the idea with it of being saved two men went to the temple and one of them got saved justification more precisely it really means this it's being declared righteous by god so one of these men finds jesus as his savior and will spend all of eternity with jesus christ in heaven and the other man that goes to the temple well He doesn't find salvation. And as far as we can tell, he goes back down to his house the same way that he came. And if nothing else changes in his life, he's going to spend all of eternity separated from God in a very real place called the Lake of Fire. And this parable, this story that, that Jesus is telling us here, talks about these two men and the really different approaches that they had to God. So what we want to look at here this morning is these two men and their different approaches to God, because we know that one of them finds salvation and one of them doesn't find salvation. So what we want to do is make sure that we are trusting in the same thing that the one who finds salvation is trusting in here today. That is our goal. Can I ask you a question? This is a question I want you to answer individually in your mind. I don't want you to shout it out and and give me an answer. I'd just like to ask you a question here before we get started really into the message. Let's suppose for a moment that that point in your life came where you are, as an individual, standing before God. Can you imagine that for a moment? Just imagine that you are standing before God. And then let's make believe here for a moment this morning that God looks at you and he asks you a question. He says, why should I let you into heaven? Now, I don't believe, and those of you who know your Bible, I don't, I don't believe that God's actually going to ask us that question. All right, but let's just suppose that he did ask you that question. What would you, as an individual, say to God to be able to explain to him why you should go to heaven? Now, it's important for each one of you to answer this individually, because as we walk through, we're going to consider these two men that go to the temple to pray. And we're going to find that they have very different ideas about how they would answer that question. And what I want us to be able to do as we look at this passage from the scripture is I would like for you to be able to take the answer that you are now coming up with and evaluate it with what? these two characters are doing and the way that they're trying to get to God. And then at the end of the day, this morning, I want you to be able to say, you know what? I'm trusting in the right thing. I am on my way to heaven. And maybe you're here today and by the preaching of God's word and the truth from it, you would be able to say, uh oh, I'm trusting in the wrong thing. I need to change my mind. I need to trust in the right thing. So that's what we want to do here this morning. So just take a few minutes and answer that question. If you were to stand before God and God were to look at you and ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you as an individual say? I'm not asking you what your pastor would say for you. I'm not asking what your parents would say for you. I'm asking about you. It's just you. It's just you and God. What would you say? Father, I want to ask for your help here this morning as we look at this passage in Luke chapter 18. Father, I just want to ask for your help. I ask that you would fill me with your spirit. Give me the words to say, the mannerisms in which to say them. And Father, I just pray that our minds would be open to the truth from the word of God this morning. And that when we leave here, everybody would be confident that they know for sure that they've been justified and that they have salvation and that that is a settled issue between them and you. Father, I love you, and just thank you so much for the opportunity to be here again this morning. And in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Well, all good stories need characters, don't they? There was an old woman who lived in a shoe. She had so many children, she didn't know what to do. She gave them some broth without any bread and whipped them all soundly and put them to bed. That was a good story, wasn't it? Amen, right? Amen. (laughs) Some of you are thinking, boy, I hope my parents don't take it and apply that, that logic, right? But they're, they're all good stories need characters. Who's the, who's the characters in that story? Well, it'd be the old woman that lives in the shoe, right? And it would be all of her children that she didn't know what to do with. Well, in our story here in Luke chapter 18, we find two characters as well. We find the Pharisee and we find the publican. So we read about them there in verse number 10. It says, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one, a Pharisee, And the other, a publican. So what I want us to do here for just a few minutes is talk about these two individuals and what we know about them just by the titles that are given to them. One's a Pharisee, the other's a publican. We'll start with the Pharisee first. Now, the Pharisees were a religious and political party uh, in the New Testament times. And they were known for their religious observances of the law as interpreted by the scribes of that day. The typical Jew of this day would have held a Pharisee in very high regard because pretty much everybody would have been able to look at them and just recognize that this was a religious person and recognize their religious devotion. The devotion of the Pharisees led them uh, to certain restrictions that they would be able to place upon themselves to hopefully be able to maintain uh, the ritual purity that they're trying to uh, seek after. For example, you might have invited a Pharisee over to eat at your house and your invitation would have been declined. See, a Pharisee wouldn't have been able to come over and eat with somebody that wasn't a Pharisee because they could not have been 100% certain that all of the food would have been prepared according to all the restrictions of the laws that were in place, and they might not have been able to to be confident that you had tithed on, on all of the things that you were preparing, and so in order to separate themselves from impurity, they really put up a bunch of restrictions in their life that kept them from tainting their own uh, religious uh, superiority, if I can say it that way. Um, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 23 that the Pharisees would even tithes on, tithe on the herbs that they grew. So they were very religiously devout people. The Pharisees, not all of them, but some of them were also represented on the Sanhedrin, which was the highest ruling body and court of justice among the Jewish People, for example, Nicodemus was both a Pharisee. And he was also a member of the Sanhedrin. So let's just sum this up here for a moment and to think about who we're talking about here with this Pharisee. We're talking about a person who is religiously zealous and uh, they're attempting to observe all of the laws of God. They're people who are very politically involved. They consider themselves to be separated from sinners and they're generally respected by those in the Jewish society of the day. So that's our Pharisee. Now, let's look at this other person who says that there were two. One was a Pharisee and the other was a publican. So let's talk about him for just a moment by the title that is given to him and what we know about him. Now, you probably know what is a publican? A tax collector. He's a tax collector, right? And he's a in this uh, well, he's a uh, oftentimes a Jewish person in fact that would have uh, be collecting taxes on behalf of the Roman government. And as you read through the scriptures, it's really fascinating when you come across the word publican, generally it is almost always associated with a negative connotation. Uh they, they were not respected, and publicans in fact were often lumped in together with the sinners of society. I'll show you an example of this. Hold your finger here in Luke chapter 18 and go back to chapter number 15. Luke chapter number 15, the Bible says in verse number one, then drew near unto him all the publicans and who? Sinners for to hear him and the Pharisees and the scribes murmured saying, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with him. So here we have these same two groups. Again, we have the Pharisees that are offended that Jesus is spending time with sinners, which includes the publicans that were there. We could look at all kinds of different examples throughout the scriptures of publicans and the negative connotation that goes with being a publican. Luke chapter 19 is another one of those. You find the story of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a chief publican. You remember this? And Jesus uh, finds Zacchaeus in a tree, and then he goes over and eats with Zacchaeus. And do you remember what all the Pharisees said? They marveled that Jesus went to spend time with sinners because Zacchaeus was a publican. Now, publicans (laughs) collected taxes for the Roman government who in turn oppressed the Roman people, and the average Jew of this day, they would have been disrespecting of publicans. So we really have two different groups of people that are represented by these two individuals that came to, came to pray in the temple. The one was a Pharisee, and the other was a publican. And I would like to suggest to you that although they're individuals in our passage, they really represent two masses of people today in humanity. There are those people who would do and think about themselves the same way that the, the Pharisee thought about himself. And then there are those who would be lumped into this category of sinners. And so really, they're going to represent two different groups of people. And we'll see that more as we begin to go through this. So we've seen our two characters to the story. The one was a Pharisee and the other was a publican. Now I want us to consider here their two approaches to God. Their two approaches to God, all good stories need a plot they need something that's going to happen to these characters that are in the story jack and jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water jack fell down and broke his crown and jill came tumbling after you know yeah i don't know if you've ever really thought through that story but like wow what an adventure to go and get a pail of water and all kinds of just terrible stuff happened to these individuals. But there's a, there's a great deal happening in this plot here with Jack and Jill. Well, the plot of Jesus' story is about how these two individuals are trying to approach God on the basis of where they're going to spend of eternity. And I think that you'll be able to see that clearly as we go through here. Now, what we want to do here is look at their similarities, because they do some things that are the same, and then we want to step back from that and we'll learn something from what it is that they do the same. So what do they do in common? Well, the Bible says there in verse number 10, two men went where? They went into the temple. Now today we could say that they were go to church or something like that, all right? So these two men, they went to the temple, or these two men, they went to the church. So we find that they both went to the same place. Now they also both went to the same place to do the same thing. Look at it there in verse number 10. Two men went up into the temple to, what's the word? Pray. So they both went there to pray. Now, we can learn something from this because down in verse number 14, we've already looked and it says, now I tell you, this man, in other words, one of them went down to his house justified. One of these men finds salvation, but both of them do not. So what then can we learn from this? We can learn from this that going to temple or going to church is not enough to save a person. No person is ever going to to spend an eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. No person is ever going to be justified because they went to the church. No one is ever going to be justified because of that reason. The other thing that they did is that both men prayed. Both men prayed. Is praying a good thing? Absolutely praying is a good thing. Should Christians pray? Absolutely Christians should pray. But can I tell you what's not going to get you into heaven? praying to God, because both of these men went to pray to God, but yet only one of them finds salvation. I spend a lot of time going out and talking to people in the community, and I knock on a lot of doors, and I talk to people about how they plan to get to heaven. In fact, I ask them the same question that I asked you at the beginning of this, our time together here this morning. You know, if you were to stand before God, and he looks at you and says, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say if I had a nickel, folks, for every time somebody told me that they knew that they were going to heaven because they pray to God every day, I would, I don't know if I'd be rich, but I would have a ton of nickels. I mean, it's just so common that people think because they pray to God when they wake up in the morning that they're going to be able to go to heaven when they die. It is absolutely astounding to me. But the Bible makes it very clear right here that both of these men were praying but yet only one of them finds salvation. So we don't get to heaven by going to church and we don't get to heaven uh, by praying. So all right, so now let's start to look at uh, how they are different and their approaches. In verses 11 and 12, we find uh, the approach that the Pharisee takes uh, to God. The Bible says, verse number 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, Adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week and I give tithes of all that I possess. I want you to kind of think through this with me as we kind of categorize what it is that the Pharisee is doing in his mind here as he evaluates his approach to God. I want you to notice that the Pharisee approaches God based upon what he does not do. The Pharisee seeks to approach God. Based upon what he is not doing, look at it in verse number 11. He says, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. I thank thee that I'm not like these other people. I am not an extortioner. I am not unjust. I am not an adulterer. And then he even finds somebody there and he says, and I'm not like that guy. I'm not like the publican. And by the way, if it had been somebody other than the public in there, his prayer would have probably been something like, I thank God that I'm not like whatever this person's occupation is. So what he's doing is he's making his approach to God based upon the things that he does not do in his life. All right? He's also approaching God based upon his comparison of himself with other people. Right, so he's trying to set up a, the, 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 the story that he doesn't do certain things, and then he makes a comparison and says, well, other people do those things, so therefore I uh, am better than those other people. Then the Pharisee seeks to approach God based upon what he does do. All right? And we see that down there in verse number 12. He says, not only am I not whatever he says there, verse number 11, but he says in verse number 12, I fast twice in the week and I give tithes of all that I possess. So to sum this up here, the Pharisee, he's thinking, well, I'm going to be able to get to heaven because I don't do certain things. I'm going to be able to get to heaven because I do certain things. And I'm going to be able to get to heaven because, well, in comparison with other people, I am better than they are. So basically, we could sum this up by saying that the Pharisee is the one who is trusting in his own righteousness to be able to get him to heaven. Even his posture, you see it there in verse number 11, that he stood when he prayed, talks about his own righteousness. He praises God, not for God's morality and goodness, but he praises God for his morality. He praises God for his goodness. And the Pharisee believes that he belongs in the presence of God because he's earned his way there. The Pharisee believes that if he were to die, that God would welcome him to heaven because of what he did not do, because of what he did do, and because in comparison with others, well, the Pharisee would be found better, and therefore he deserves to go to heaven. Now, let's take a minute here, and let's just think about this. What does the Pharisee's approach to God look like in 2023? What does the Pharisee's approach to God look look like in 2023 well perhaps you answered the question if you were to stand before god and he asked you why should i let you into heaven perhaps your response was something like well i'm a good person well i think i'm going to go to heaven because i haven't killed anybody well i'm pretty sure i'm going to get in i don't really know exactly why but i yeah i'm i'm going to be able to go I would suggest to you that you are represented by the Pharisee in the passage because your approach to God is exactly the same as a Pharisee's approach to God. Let's think about those things just for a moment, all right? If a person says, well, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good person, all right? What does that mean? Well, you have to be making a comparison between yourself and other people, don't you? You have to be saying, well, certain people are bad. Other people are good, and I am on the side over here that is good and moral in other people, and I am better than those are. And if you're saying that I'm a good person, you are basing that upon what you are doing in your life. You do good things. And you are also basing that upon, well, what you don't do. You're basing it upon, well, I'm a good person because I don't, and I'm not exactly sure what it might be, but you could fill in the blank of whatever that would be. So if a person answers to that question, well, I think I'm a good person, then their approach to God is based off comparison with other people, what they do, what they don't do. And is exactly what the Pharisee is doing here in this passage. I don't know if you've ever uh, gone out and tried to, to witness to people and you've asked people, you know, if they're going to heaven and where their confidence is. And if you do, you'll hear this answer. You'll hear someone say, well, I haven't killed anyone. Anybody ever heard that before? I've heard it a whole, whole bunch of times. And maybe that was your answer here this morning. You think, well, I'll go to heaven because, I mean, you know, I hadn't killed anybody. Okay, well, let's just think a little bit about that response. What does that response mean? That response means you're making a comparison between yourself and other people who have killed someone. You're seeking to approach God based upon what you have not done in your life. You haven't killed someone. And you're seeking to approach God based upon what you have done in your life, apparently more moral things than killing someone. If you say your answer to that question, well, um, I think I'll get in. I think I'll get in. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm confident I'll get in. What could a person's basis for that kind of a statement be? They would have to be making a comparison of themselves with other people. And they would have to be saying, of all of the humans that I know, I'm better than the majority of those people, so therefore I'm going to be able to get in. So again, it's comparing with yourself with other people. It's basing it on what you are doing, how you are living your life, and it's basing it upon what you are not doing and what you are not doing in your life. All right, here's another one. We've already talked about this, and we've explained how prayer does not get you into heaven, but maybe somebody here says that I'm going to get to heaven because I pray to God every day. Well, you are seeking to approach God based upon what it is that you are doing in your life. You are trying to get to God based upon the fact that you pray every day. Another response that you'll hear in 2023, you'll ask a person if they know for sure that they're going to heaven and they'll say something like this. They say, well, I'm working on it. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? It means that they are working on doing enough good, being a moral enough person and making enough self-change that they can be able to warrant or merit their own entrance into heaven. So there are many answers that a person can give that would actually put them in the same category as the Pharisee because they are approaching God based upon the things that we've talked about, based upon comparison, based upon the things that they're not doing in their life and based upon the things that they are Doing in their life. Okay, now, now let's contrast that and let's see how the publican is seeking to approach himself to God. And remember, we don't know which one of these people is justified yet, so let's just keep our minds open here and consider the, the publican's approach. And look in verse number 13. The Bible says, And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, we've, this is already very different from the Pharisee, isn't it? So they're very easy to determine the two different ways that people seek to come to God. Now, the publican, you'll notice here as it starts off, it says he was standing afar off and he would not even lift up his eyes unto heaven. So he doesn't even feel that he is worthy to, be a, to even approach God. He, he bows his head from a great distance away. He feels shame. He feels guilt for his sins, and he feels guilt for his lack of righteousness. The publican here, he makes no plea to God based upon what he does not do in his life. You know why he doesn't? Because he knows what he does. He knows that he's not worthy. He knows that he's unrighteous. He knows that he is a sinner. He's a publican. He's lumped in with that group. He makes no plea to God based off of what he does not do. He makes no plea to God based off of what he does do. And he makes no plea to God by comparing himself with other people. What does he do? He simply cries out for the mercy of God. He simply cries out for God's mercy. What is mercy? Somebody once said this way, they defined mercy as God not giving us what we deserve. God not giving us what we deserve. What I want us to dig a little bit further further into this text because I think that uh, there's something here that will be a help to you. When the publican says there in verse number 13, when he smote upon his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Uh, this is translated from a Greek word that is a Greek word, elaskamai. And I don't, I don't claim to be a Greek scholar here, but there are some amazing things that we can learn from the original languages. And this word that is used to translate, God be merciful to me, a sinner here, is only used one other time in the scriptures, and it's in 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 2. So hold your finger here in Luke chapter 18 and go to 1 John chapter 2, and we'll look in verse number 2 there. And I want you to see uh, the word that is used, that is translated, uh, be merciful to me, over in Luke chapter 18. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 1, my little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the, here's our word, would you say it with me? Propitiation. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. World. Now go back to Luke chapter number 18. You know, that word propitiation is a word that we understand the definition to. And it basically means this, the satisfactory payment for sin of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary that appeased the wrath of God and made full satisfaction of his justice. In other words, God's shed blood paid for your sin. Sins. And when the, the publican here is crying out, God, be merciful to me, what he's saying is, God, propitiate me. God's, he's saying, look, I don't deserve heaven. I know that I'm a sinner, and I need you to forgive me. I need your propitiation. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, is what he is saying. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. The publican knows that he has not kept God's law. He knows that he is a sinner. He knows that he has no righteousness of his own to offer God. So he simply cries out for God's mercy. He cries out for the satisfactory payment of the blood of Jesus Christ to be applied to his account. So what does that look like in 2023? What does that approach to God look like here in 2023? Well, if you answered the question something like this, this would be identified with the publican. If you said, well, I'm trusting in Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins and be my savior, not based upon what I have done, but based solely upon what he has done for me, then you would be in the same category there as the publican. All right, so we've seen our two characters. We've seen their two approaches to God. And now what we need to do is we need to look at the conclusion. We need to look at the two different outcomes for these individuals. All good stories need a conclusion, right? And I guess you already know this is where the next nursery rhyme comes in. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. What a conclusion. Kind of a devastating conclusion there, I I guess, really, right? I uh, was looking at these nursery rhymes and I just, poof. I don't don't even know if they're kids' stories. But anyway, Humpty, poor poor Humpty, he he couldn't get put back together again. Hey, let us read the whole story here together. We've been looking at it in parts, but let's read it all together and as we evaluate which one of these two individuals has the right approach to God. The Bible says in verse number 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Which one got it right? Well, let we'll keep going. The Bible says, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Which character humbled himself? It was the publican. He's the one that got it right. So the Bible says in verse number 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. This man went down to his house having found salvation because he cried out for the mercy of God, recognizing that he was a sinner and asking for Jesus to be able to save him. There's another really amazing things I just wanna be able to point out here in this passage. Verse number 14 says, I tell you that this man went down to his house justified that word justified there is a very rich word we've already talked about the definition of it the definition being that God declared the publican as righteous isn't that amazing God takes your sin and he gives to you his righteousness the Pharisee was trying to establish his own righteousness but by definition, we understand that God gave the publican his righteousness. And the word justified here in the original language is passive. And so that means that the subject didn't do the action to himself. So in other words, it has to be God that gives him the righteousness for him to be able to go to heaven. And the other thing that's so neat about this word is, is it's is in the perfect tense, which means this. And don't let me bore you with too many grammar details, but stick with me because this is amazing. All right? The Bible is saying here that when he is justified... He is justified at this certain point of time. He stands justified today. And listen to me, he forever will be justified you have the doctrine of eternal security all wrapped up in this one word that is being used here in the new testament and so what the bible is saying is not only is the publican going to go down to his house justified but listen to me everywhere he ever goes for the rest of his life he goes as one who has been will be and always shall be justified And that is just a wonderful truth there for us to be able to wrap our minds around. Friends, whenever you trust Jesus Christ to be your savior, he does a thorough job of it and he just saves you and he gives you eternal life that is going to last for all of eternity. The Pharisee, he went down to his house the same way that he came, without salvation, without justification, and without being declared righteous by God. The Pharisee, simply put, he just had the wrong approach. He had the wrong ideas. Going to the temple or going to the church is not going to save a person. Praying to God is not going to save a person. Keeping the law to the best of your ability does not save a person. Not doing immoral things does not save a person. Doing moral things does not save a person. Being better than other people in your own comparison does not save a person trusting in your righteousness does not save would you look at verse number nine and we'll see why jesus said this parable in the beginning he says and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Or the despising others seems kind of harsh. There's a lot of people today that they say that they would be trusting in their own righteousness to get to heaven, and they don't realize by saying those things and what they're doing, they really are despising other people. They're making the judgment and despising other people that they're not as good as they are. You know, unfortunately, a wrong approach to God has eternal consequences. The Bible teaches very clearly that if a person never comes to God the way that the publican did, if he never comes to God understanding that they're a sinner and crying out for God's mercy and crying out for God's shed blood to be applied to their account for the forgiveness of their sins, the Bible says there's no way that person can be able to go to heaven whenever they die. You know, every story needs a conclusion and every sermon needs an invitation. So I just ask you a question. I asked you the question at the beginning of the service, what would you as an individual say to God? And now I want to circle back to that, and I just want to ask you, did you get the answer right? Are you approaching God the same way that the publican is approaching God? Or are you approaching God the way that the Pharisee was approaching God? And if you are trying to approach God on the same grounds of merit that the Pharisee was approaching God, This will be your opportunity to change your mind about that and to realize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and he's made salvation available to you if you'll just simply call upon him to save you. Would you stand to your feet right where you're at? I'm going to ask you once you stand to your feet to bow your head and close your eyes there. So we just have a brief time of invitation. Father, I thank you so much for the word of God. Lord, I thank you for the truth of it. Lord, I thank you for being straightforward with us and blunt like this parable is, Lord, so that we can know where we stand uh, with you. And Father, I just pray in this time of invitation that if there's somebody here who realizes that uh, they need to trust you to be their Savior today, Lord, that you would be with them, and that you'd give them the courage to call out to you so that they can be saved. And Lord, wherever they go from this point forward in their life, Uh, they'll be able to go as a person who has trusted you uh, as their Savior. I just ask that your will and your way would be done. And in Jesus' name, with every head bowed and every eye closed, let me just ask this question first. Did you get it right? Did you get the answer to the question correct? Are you in the same category as the publican, where you understand that you're a sinner, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, and you put your faith and trust in Him alone to forgive you of your sins? If that's just you, right where you sit with nobody looking around except the pastor and myself, would you just slip your hand up nice and high, slip your hand up nice and high so you can say yes. Amen. Praise the Lord. Wonderful. You can put your hands back down. I wonder if there would somebody be somebody here and you'd say, you know what, preacher, I got the answer wrong. I got the answer wrong. And I'm concerned about that. I'm afraid that I'm going to spend an eternity in hell because I'm trying to approach Jesus the wrong way. Well, I've got good news for you the Bible says that God loves you very much. He understands that you're a sinner. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the Bible says in 1 Peter two twenty four that he, Jesus, bore our sins, your sins and my sins, the sins of the whole world, in his own body on the tree. He died, was buried, and rose again from the grave. And he says, if you'll believe that I am God and that my death, burial, and resurrection was sufficient for the forgiveness of your sins, if you'll just ask me to save you, I'll be glad to do that for you. He wants to save you. He wants you to be saved more than you want to be saved. You know that? That's how much God loves you. Perhaps you're here today and you say, you know what? That's me. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand right now, but I would like you to just talk to the, talk to the Lord about it. Just talk to the Lord. That's all you have to do. You have to talk to him. The Bible says in Romans 10:13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So right where you sit, Right from where you're standing, excuse me, you can just talk to the Lord and you can say something like this. And if you want to ask Jesus to be your Savior, you can just ask him right now from wherever you're standing. You say something like this. You can say, dear God in heaven, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I deserve to go to hell because of my sin. But right now, I'm trusting Jesus to be my Savior. And in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't know if anybody did that today or not, but I can tell you this, I would just be delighted to know if you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior today. I want to be able to rejoice with you. And so right where you're sitting, right where you're standing, if you would, maybe just slip your hand up nice and high with only myself and the pastor looking around and say, you know, I prayed that. I asked Jesus to be my Savior today. I know that I'm going to spend an eternity in heaven because I asked for Jesus to save me. Anybody like that at all? Anybody like that across the room? Father, I thank you so much for the time that you've given us here today today, to look into your word. And Father, I just pray that you would be with the week of meetings ahead. Father, thank you for so many that know for sure that they have an eternal home in heaven. And Father, we thank you for the truth of salvation, Lord, that you paid it all. Father, we love you, and in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Pastor.